the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yeah, these days we could almost say he's also the host of California's only conservative talk show. Now, I've got a few colleagues here and there up and down the state, but do feel lonely at times. Good afternoon. Welcome to this uh, Tuesday edition of Lifeline. Great to have you on board. We've got a lot to break down today in terms of what's going on in the world of news. A little bit later on in tonight's program, we'll be joined by Claudia Rossette, Foreign Policy Fellow with the Independent Women's Forum. She's the author of the best-selling book, What to Do About the U.N., Get it out of the U.S. is my opinion, but we won't go there for the moment. We're going to be talking with Claudia about the big summit that occurred in Singapore and what it means both for the United States, for North Korea, and for the world. We'll get to that conversation a little bit later on. Also, you are no doubt aware by now of the uh, tragic suicide of um, food and chef expert Anthony Bourdain, who committed suicide last week. And as we continue to sort of wrestle through what seems to be this ongoing culture of death in which we live, how can we do a better job at addressing the pain that people are suffering in life so that they don't feel as if they are driven to find no other hope but in death? Catherine Foster, president and CEO of Americans United for Life, would join us. That's all coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program. As we lead off the show, we are very privileged to have join us a celebrated author. He's written a number of best-selling books down through the years, including his most recent, Big Agenda, President Trump's plan to save America. He is the founder and chairman of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. And uh, for many years, of course, you've known him as the publisher and editor of Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. We are pleased to have join us on the program, David Horowitz. David, how are you? I'm pretty good. Well, great to have you with us. And uh, I want to dive in and talk a bit about uh, the freedom of speech or lack thereof on college campuses and universities across America. But before we get to that, spend a couple of minutes, if you would, give us your perspective on this historic summit between President Trump and, frankly, the first president of, or dictator, I should say, of North Korea to ever meet a seated American president, Kim. How did you think things went? And what do you see in terms of the impact on the future for denuclearization? of North Korea? Well, I, I think the first thing is it's shown how um, important it is to have a good president. Um, when you think of the hundreds of billions of dollars that uh, the previous three presidents wasted trying to bribe Kim Jong-un to give up his nuclear weapons and how they abused that attempt the appeasement era uh, to develop nuclear weapons and, uh, and ballistic missiles. You can see how vital it is to have a really strong, confident, and patriotic figure in the White House, in the commander-in-chief seat. Um, Obama was a disaster. 
uh, it would take Trump two terms uh, to retrieve the losses that we sustain as a nation by Obama's appeasement, um, particularly in the Middle East. Uh, we can't bring back the hundreds of thousands of Christians who were slaughtered on his watch without him caring enough to do anything about it. Um, so I'm thrilled that Donald Trump is the president. I don't know how this deal will work. I, I think this is a case of uh, recognizing that North Korea is a basket case economically. It's really a very weak country. Um, and using our uh, leverage that way, Trump, you know, we're going to destroy you. You know, the guy's 34 years old. He probably wants to reign for a long time. Um, so you use, you know, the Theodore Roosevelt uh, line, you know, speak softly but carry a big stick. Actually, Trump spoke loudly at the beginning, but I was to scare the guy and put pressure on China to put pressure on Kim. There's been some criticism. Some people said, well, meeting with Kim is legitimizing the regime. But oddly enough, I don't recall any of that rhetoric back when uh, back when uh, uh, Barack Obama had a meeting with the then president of Iran over the nuclear deal there. Obama's a traitor, and, and those Democrats colluded in his treason, gave hundreds of billions of dollars to our arch enemies. They killed... 3,000, almost every American soldier was killed in, the, in Iraq, was killed by an Iranian IED. He, he, he would give this money on, in cash on pallets. He violated the sanctions policy at the time to fund them. He built his whole foreign policy on the appearances Nazis in Tehran. If Franklin Roosevelt had done that with Hitler, what do you think we would call him? But Obama's black, so everybody's intimidated from calling him by his, you know, the right name. Yes, all these Democrats should keep their mouths shut, considering uh, that they gave Obama a pass on all these things, including the murder of Gaddafi, which turned Libya into a terrorist base. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable, you know, the spectacle here of this left-wing press and the Democratic Party who went along with all these disastrous policies in the Obama years, uh, you know, who listened to his lies. I mean, to call Trump a liar, he's a Boy Scout compared to Obama. Obama lied about really big things, like Obamacare. You can keep your doctor if you want him, if you like him, and your plan if you like it. Like uh, Al-Qaeda is on the run which got him elected in 2012. Uh, you know, I could go, actually, there's a whole book that Jack Castle wrote called You Lie. It just documents all of Obama's lies. But again, he escapes scot-free because he's black. I know that's politically incorrect to say, but that's the reality. And until more Americans are willing to stand up, and that's the great thing about Trump. I mean, I'm, you know, recall the second debate with Hillary in front of 70 million television viewers, he looked her in the eye and said, you are a liar and a crook, which she is both. But there's not another Republican in Christendom who would dare to say that because she's a woman. 
Well, I, I got to tell you, David, I don't know that I would concur with you that Obama got a free pass on a lot of these things simply because he was America's first black president. There's no doubt about the fact, though, that he was the darling of the press. He was uh, very charismatic, and the the press obviously uh, felt very comfortable with him, and he certainly knew how to um, sort of nourish that relationship where Trump, let's face it, has been a guy who uh, says what comes to the top of his mind. And ironically, some of the tough talk, which people said would all work against us, that he shouldn't have said uh, the things that he said about Kim, calling him, uh, what, the little rocket man and uh, essentially canceling the first summit, that all of this was going to blow up in Trump's face. But oddly enough, the tough talk and the rhetoric, even as Trump himself admitted, actually worked to the administration's benefit. Of course, because America is strong and North Korea is weak. It has nuclear weapons. Iran also, it's got an economy the size of Boston. And it would be much smaller if Obama hadn't pumped it up. We haven't had a president who's been willing to stand up and use American leverage and put America first in God knows how long. And 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 that's... Trump's great contribution. By the way, on this thing of Obama's being protected, there wasn't one Republican when he pulled out of Iraq and created that vacuum, which created ISIS, which cost half a billion lives. There wasn't one Republican or conservative who who accused him of betraying every American who gave his life in Iraq to keep it independent of Iran. So I, you know, I, I think there was just a general level of being nice to Obama because he's black. What, what, what do you think, uh, Communist China? What do you think they're read? What's Beijing discussing tonight in the wake of the the uh, summit? Well, you know, it's an interesting game here. First of all, I think China's economy is inflated. Also, they lie with a their their statistics uh, are, are largely fake. But it is, it's a great power. Uh, it's very aggressive. Uh, and I think, uh, for some reason, Trump was able uh, to convince them that this guy with nuclear weapons is not good for them, uh, and a de- denuclearized uh, Korean Peninsula is. I have no idea what they're talking about tonight, because uh, I don't have an idea of, of whether this thing is going to work. I think it's great that he's gotten this far, but, um, you know, you have to be really foolish to get on it. Yeah, at the end of the day, time uh, will certainly tell, as the old saying goes. Best-selling author David Horowitz with us tonight. We are talking not just about the Singapore summit, but when we come back, we'll bring things a bit closer to home. You know, certainly that historically, college and university campuses, certainly here in the San Francisco Bay Area, have been bastions of free speech. What happened to all that? We'll get David Horowitz's opinion as our conversation continues right after this. Get a look at traffic right now at the KFAX Traffic Center. We've got Mike Bennett with the latest. Michael, what's up? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Visiting today with best-selling author David Horowitz's latest book, Big Agenda, President Trump's Plan to Save America. So question for the listeners, what do 
Ann Coulter, Dinesh D'Souza, Milo Yiannopoulos, and David Horowitz all have in common? (laughs) They've also been hassled big time at college and university campuses across the country, particularly here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And the irony for folks that have lived in the Bay Area any length of time, you know that there was a time when places like Berkeley and UC Santa Cruz were considered to be bastions of free speech, but they seem to be anything but that. What do we call them now, David? Uh, Free speech free zones? Well, uh, Dan Hentoff once wrote a book titled uh, free for me, but not for thee. Mm. So the left is always for freedom until it gets in power, and then its totalitarian character comes out. My my website, frontpagemagazine.com, has a motto, inside every liberal is a totalitarian screaming to get out. Because they want to remake the world, and they want to remake people. So they began in the 70s. It began a purge of conservatives from faculty. So a conservative on a university faculty, particularly the disgraceful University of California, is as rare as a unicorn. You can get a four-year education and never encounter a conservative adult. And and yet, this doesn't happen by accident. It happens with the collusion this is in the liberal arts schools. I mean, not, not in engineering schools, obviously. Um, but it requires the collusion of the, of the rest of the faculty. They know what's going on. They know there are no conservatives. Um, and they're happy with it. Then they, you know, they've taken conservative books out of the required reading list. And then conservative speakers. I haven't been to a college campus without taking a bodyguard in 20 years because I've been physically attached uh, by leftists. And what what happened to me, I I was scheduled to speak at UC Santa Cruz and did, but after I had agreed to speak, they sent me a waiver that the university requires speakers to sign, which holds the waiver to waive my rights to sue them if something happens to me on their campus including if it happens because of their negligence, (laughs) in so many words. What's going on in our universities, it's unfathomable. And it's because the left is a totalitarian left, or if you like, a fascist left. It wants to shut down anybody disagrees with it. So this is essentially a case where they are afraid to allow other opinions, opposing opinions, to be voiced for fear that, gee, if we actually get a little bit of intellectual diversity, if we get a little bit of dialogue going, somebody actually might begin to realize that what they're, what they're trying to market is a bunch of poppycock. Um, yeah, that's a good part of it, but the, really the main part is that leftism is a crypto-religion. They think that they're bringing the kingdom of heaven uh, on earth. And so everybody opposes them as a racist, sexist, homophobe, and unworthy. That's the way they think of it. Unworthy of being uh, inside their safe space. They don't really confront the fact um, that they can't handle the arguments, which they can't because they're just pumped up on this religious fanaticism. 
I read a uh, quote on on uh, your website, one of your blogs, and you're actually quoting from the UC Regents' policy on course content, which says, and I quote here, misuse of classroom, allowing it to be used for political indoctrination constitutes misuse of the university as an institution, close quote. Obviously, they don't read their own policy manual. Well, that was written by Charles Hitch when he was president. Uh, and that it was a really good thing he did. But the problem is always enforcing these things. And the regents of the university, you know, they're all political appointments. It's too much trouble. You know, the regents generally are, are business people, are people with other agendas in the, in the university. And taking on the left, which is so vicious, and goes right for your jugular. I mean, no, they don't, nobody wants to be bothered with it. It's not like I haven't talked to university presidents or regents and tried to get them, and particularly university regents at University of California, to observe that hitch rule, which you, which you just read. Um, you know, it's like talking to a wall. Well, and the other irony, too, and I think that we all should be aware of this, that review of the course catalog uh, at, you know, just about name the uh, the UC school here in California reveals such a leftist agenda that it, it's shocking to see what they consider to be legitimate course offerings that's supposed to count toward a, a four-year um, university education, and yet most of it seems to be more like university indoctrination. Right. Oh, no, it all is. It all is. All of the courses. They say they purge conservative books on the reading list. They've created fields. Like, well, you know, I spoke at UC Santa Cruz. There's a department there which was created by a communist, Bettina Aptecker, his father was the theoretician of the American Communist Party, but she was a communist, too. Uh, it's called the Department of Feminist Studies. Just think about that for a moment. That, it doesn't even pretend to be women's studies. It's an indoctrination course in radical feminism. But this is true of, of all the courses at the university. Well, and I suppose they've also wised up to the fact that American democracy is based on uh, discourse and give and take and, and disagreement. And if you're able to take that uh, element out of the coursework, out of the dialogue, and essentially just indoctrinate the students, then you effectively are successful at undermining the very uh, underpinnings of American democracy, no? The first thing you have to understand about the left is they hate America. They just hate America. They don't buy any of this. You know, they they teach the lie in college that uh, America, the American Constitution, is a bunch of slave property owning, slaveholding uh, uh, patriarchs. Um, it, the fact that black Africans enslaved other black Africans and sold them to Englishmen, actually, in the colonial era. And that white Americans, beginning with Thomas Jefferson, um, are responsible for the freedom of every black alive today whose ancestors were slaves. You know, it, it, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I'm actually doing a kind of a book on this. But um, 
the Protestant idea of the priesthood of all believers is the foundation of American equality. And once Thomas Jefferson put that into the Declaration, and once we had a, actually had a country with the Constitution, it was only 87 years to liberating the slaves. David Horowitz, we're out of time. Appreciate you joining us today. And uh, just a couple of quick thoughts, if I might. Uh, first off, uh, to, to the point regarding uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, he was a slaveholder, and we need to be clear about that. And I, I, I you know, it, it's one thing if you're trying to simply discuss big picture of, yes, obviously if there was buying slaves, somebody had to be selling the slaves, but the point of culpability here that that America needs to be responsible. We can't answer for, nor can we be responsible for, what tribe did what to what tribe on the continent of Africa. We can only be accountable and responsible for our own actions. And clearly it's taken America a long time to get to that point. And I would suggest to you we're obviously still not there yet. Uh, the other point of clarification that I want to make with regard to, uh, is he gone now? Did he? Yeah. Uh, the other point of clarification that I would love if he'd stayed online to uh, to touch on, and that is uh, the point with regards to Barack Obama. I, I think it's clear to say that there was a significantly better relationship between Barack Obama and the press than that of uh, President Trump, uh, although uh, I think Trump has been uh, equally as antagonistic, certainly at, at a lot of levels, not at every level, and nor have they treated him always fair, and quite frankly, nor did the press always treat Barack Obama fair. But to suggest that somehow Barack Obama got a free pass simply because he was black, mm, I think that he himself would tell you, if anything, he probably came under greater criticism because of his race and not less in the role as, as the first black American president. So, uh, you know, it, it's I, I, we can agree to disagree, I suppose. But on those points, I wanted to get my viewpoint clear uh, that I do not concur that Barack Obama got a free pass. I think he got a free pass because, uh, number one, he uh, was the darling of the Democrat Party. Number two, because he was regarded as uh, fresh face, fresh ideas coming up through the party. And that uh, a lot of the um, weak centrist to uh, the, the, the left uh, embraced a lot of what he stood for and what he wanted to get accomplished. And I think in, in terms of breaking the racial barriers at the, uh, the level of the highest um, office in the land, he accomplished much. Now, all of that said, to suggest that somehow the, uh, President Barack Obama had it easy, uh, from the press, I, I would suggest you need to go back and take a look at the press a little deeper, uh, before making a, uh, an observation of that sort. Okay. Enough said on both points. I'm going to climb down off my soapbox and, uh, we're going to turn a corner. Ah, shall we shall we leave the controversy altogether? No. Why do so so early in the game? <laughs> Let's talk more about the North Korea-United States summit between Kim Jong-un and President Trump. We'll do that coming up next with our special guest, Claudia Rosset, Foreign Policy Fellow with the Independent Women's Forum. All right. Right now, though, let's get a look at traffic for you. Michael Bennett's got the latest. Michael?
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. Great to have you on board. We continue on with this, the Tuesday edition, just about 5.36 on the clock. As you know, we have been discussing it uh, earlier this evening. There, of course, has been a mixed reaction, I think, to the uh, the president's meeting with the, uh, the head of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, and exactly what all of that means for the sake of uh, not only peace in the region, but denuclearization of North Korea. Joining us now with some insight to uh, what exactly all of this means is Claudia Rosette. Claudia is a foreign policy fellow with the Independent Women's Forum, and she's also author of the best-selling book, What to Do About the U.N. Claudia, great to have you back on the program. Uh, your take, some sides seem to suggest that all this did was legitimize and empower Kim Jong-un. I find that kind of an interesting observation, given the fact that back in 2015, when uh, then-President Barack Obama met with the president of Iran. Nobody said at that time that somehow uh, this legitimization uh, was going to be uh, to the benefit of Iran's Hassan Hussani. Well, um, yeah, there could have been, should have been a lot more criticism of the Iran deal, although I did what I could to do my part. (laughs) That was terrible. I hear you. Um, But on this one, look, uh, on one level, it's turned into a Rorschach test for American politics. Um, you know, I'm hearing so many opinions that are sort of predicated on what people like or don't like about President Trump. Um, if we look at the problem with North Korea itself and ask what just happened, uh, I think the answer right now is it's, at this stage, neither triumph nor tragedy. And we don't really know exactly where it's going to go. But if I could offer my interpretation of the context here, you know, what is what, why is President Trump doing this? And why is he going about it this way? Um, look, going back to Harry Truman and the Korean War from 1950 to 53, uh, no president since the, American, since the Korean War has been willing to go to war again you know, on the Korean Peninsula. Every president has somehow tried to deal with, cope with, manage, or ignore North Korean provocations, the growing threat, and so on. And uh, one after another, these presidents have sort of stood their watch as the threat has grown worse. And that especially since they began, North Korea actually began producing plutonium um, since the end of the Cold War. And then when North Korea, along with the South, was invited to join the United Nations, and the following year there was this happy declaration with North and South Korea that they were going to Denuclearized, does that sound familiar? And then North Korea began threatening to turn producing plutonium, threatening to turn it into bombs and so on. And the basic problem, I think, is this, that there probably is no real solution to North Korea short of military action. I mean, it is a totalitarian state, and trying to persuade them to evolve is pretty tough. They haven't done it. Uh, and it's the out of that distinction that Gene Kirkpatrick made between authoritarians and totalitarians, it's different. Uh, and so the problem is what to do. And as long as Americans really aren't prepared to go to war again in Korea, one after another, the presidents have had to figure out, should have tried to figure out what to do. Do they lead us into a war? Do they try and deal with it? And one after another, they've 
cut deals that were just terrible, that North Korea has exploited under President Clinton and President Bush, or President Obama, who just sort of ignored it. And at that stage, Kim Jong-un came to power, and the whole threat grew dramatically worse. I mean, four of North Korea's six nuclear tests to date, four were carried out during Obama's presidency, as well as scores of missile tests. That's really how they got to this very dangerous point today. President Trump came in. What to do? If he had declared war, uh, can you imagine the howling that would be going on right now, especially from the people on the left in American politics who are now criticizing his summit? <laughs> no. Um, at the same time, he couldn't let it go. America has to do something about this. It's becoming a real threat to us as well as the peninsula, as well as in the Middle East. Uh, you know, they sell North Korea sells these wares. So he has tried in his own way to upend the failed routines of the past, but he's done it without without going to war. Well, and at the end of the day, in my book, if he succeeds at de-escalating tensions on the peninsula, uh, it's still a major win. Look, at the in the final analysis, at least from my understanding of North Korea, uh, this whole issue of denuclearization, it's really the only tool, the only um, card, so to speak, that Kim has up his sleeve. He really can't deal with global uh, challenges with other countries diplomatically because he has no real pure diplomatic relations with any other country than than China, and sometimes that's questionable or tenuous. Uh, and he certainly can't threaten to uh, do a blockade or uh, to uh, you know cut off uh, shipments of goods and, and materials because he really is he's not a, he's not an exporter he's purely an importer so at the end of the day the only real strength that he has globally is the threat of nuclear war and i suppose at the end of the day for this young guy you know he as you say he'd like to be around for a while he probably doesn't want to give up the one thing that he holds that's the only card in the deck I think that's right. Look, the reason he was treated with so much importance at this, in Singapore is because he has nuclear weapons. Otherwise, he would be the dictator of this miserable, backward, impoverished, wretched, totalitarian state. Um, and what I think that portends is it's very unlikely that the negotiations that are now supposed to follow this summit are going to produce a swift, smooth denuclearization of North Korea. I think more likely North Korea will pull out some of its own tricks. They'll take offense at some point. They'll take whatever they can get. And uh, at that stage, the question will be, have they conceded anything of substance that gives us a little more advantage than when President Trump took office? And in the event that it does come down to actually having to take military action to stop what's been going on in North Korea, uh, then I think President Trump has dealt with the, uh, with the argument that he has not tried the diplomatic option. I think he's just tried, he's out-tried everybody today. This has been diplomacy plus. And uh, at that, if this then does not work, you know, he said it himself in his press conference, it's possible that in six months he'll be standing there saying it didn't work. But he's tried, I think, pulling out all the stops as far as some kind of negotiation uh, it also would not surprise me if the U I, I'm speculating here. I have no factual information for, basis for this, but I speculate that along with the three aircraft carriers and the various other shows of military force, it would not surprise me 
if the U.S. had threatened him in some sort of bone-drawing way behind the scenes. You know, something like I could imagine presenting him with a set of U.S. targets that would include places he didn't know we even knew about. Um, that could help explain some of this. None of it is likely to turn Kim Jong-un into a tractable dictator, okay? He, he doesn't run that kind of a system. I actually think until he starts dismantling the totalitarian regime that he runs, uh, there's really no way that all this disarmament is going to take place. But he, But at least something is being tried here that's different from sending in the suited diplomats to have the ritual negotiations with China, which is, as uh, Senator Cotton was just saying on the television news, has played a double game on this all along, you know, professing disappointment but allowing North Korea to get these nuclear weapons, with China hosting talks in which China becomes the empowered broker. And we then sort of petition China, which, which we, which, with which we already have plenty of rising problems on, in its own right. So it's, it, you know, it made me, look, it was actually sickening to see the American and the North Korean flags side by side. I, I did not find that a wonderful, inspiring sight. I found it horrible. At the same time, and it was not pleasant to see this totalitarian tyrant, he's not a leader, he's a ruler, a tyrant of a slave state, shaking hands with the leader of the free world and running around Singapore sightseeing at the casino. But uh, as a move to try to somehow find a way, shake things up enough to find if there is any possible way to defuse this without actually ending up in a hot war again in Korea. Uh, it's worth a try. Well, and I think, you know, history has shown that at least we have to give some credit for trying, that clearly the attempt to try and resolve an issue in a non-military fashion, while not always successful, is at least ultimately the preferred way. I mean, there have got to be those that uh, uh, looked at uh, the return of Neville Chamberlain to London, uh, declaring peace in our time, and photographs of him having shaken hands with Adolf Hitler, and I'm sure at some point the Nazi swastika flying up uh, side by side with the uh, the uh, British Jack must have been troubling to some, but at least he tried. Didn't work out very well, but at least he tried. I suppose the other thing, too, in this uh, situation here, Claudia, that's difficult for, um, for Kim, and that is that in any of his dealings, there's both the, the outward perception of who he is and the internal perception of who he is, and he's got to be able to save face. A country that has invested 68 years since 1950 of vilifying the United States, suggesting at every turn that we are about to attack, that we are the big straw man enemy to be watching out for, and, and then to come back and suddenly say, oh, made a big mistake, they're actually our friends. Uh, clearly, that's not going to happen uh, if the regime hopes to save face, no? Uh, well, there's, again, a complicated calculus there. The, the real problem is, uh, North Korea, look, the bottom problem is North Korea's system, which is going to be in search of enemies or it's going to collapse internally. And the internal collapse would be just great. That would be the ideal outcome here. You know, Absolutely. It's not, not a pretty idea, but it's the best of all really bad options. Um, you know, I say great. Uh, but the, how, how do these regimes typically go? 
Well, either they reach some point where you get something like the Soviet collapse, which I think was sped along by Ronald Reagan building up the U.S. military and sort of that arms race and calling them out as they were, or you get an actual defeat in war. And you get, uh, the thing is, Russia has sort of come back as a threatening dictatorship. Japan, which was soundly defeated, is now our strongest ally in the Far East. And one of the things I wonder, if you're trying to negotiate your way out of this hideous dilemma that one president after another has kicked down the road until it's become a truly mortal, terrible threat and proliferator and so on, um, then there's a point where you want to let the dictator save face in hope that he will do something, but it's also vital to know at what moment are you becoming Neville Chamberlain pursuing that piece of paper where you're going to get home and you're going to get a war. Yeah, your, your point is a very valid one. I think at the end of the day, people need to be mindful that this is uh, step one. This is not one and done, but this is step one of a long process that, as the president pointed out, you mentioned this, may or may not ultimately succeed. That said, at least historically, since the end of uh, official hostilities, we stopped shooting at each other officially, at least. The, well, the war technically never ended because we never signed an absolute armistice. We just kind of let things uh, cool down since 1953. If nothing further happens, then Donald Trump has gone further than any other president has in dealing with the uh, the hermit kingdom. That's to be sure. Claudia, I wish we had more time. You need to have your own Sunday talk show. I love your insights, and few are as brilliant and as articulate as you are on these topics. So thank you so much for uh, gracing our airwaves with uh, your presence. Claudia Rossette, she is the Foreign Policy Fellow, the Independent Women's Forum, author of the best-selling book, What to Do About the U.N. More information available, by the way, about the forum at iwf.org. That's iwf.org. Claudia Rossette for uh, Secretary of State. They don't run for those offices, do they? But, you know. Just a hint that you need one in the future. Maybe she'll make herself available. Yes, just about 10 before the hour. Let's get updated on traffic right quick. We do so with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Over the last many months, there has been a growing body of concern over the school shootings. Places like Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, Marshall County. The list seemingly continues to grow, and with it, concerns by parents not just over whether or not the physical environment is a safe one for children to learn, but certainly Christian parents have known for a long time that while that's important, so too is the quality and safety of the academic, moral, and spiritual environment in which our children are educated. Joining me today in studio is Brian Rectin, and Brian is here to share some good news about an opportunity for parents all across the San Francisco Bay Area who've long dreamed about getting their child into a private school where they can make sure that not only is there a safe learning environment from a physical aspect, but also a safe learning environment from the academic, moral, and spiritual aspect. And Brian, at the end of the day, this half-off tuition program that KFAX has been running for a number of years now really helps parents accomplish just that. Yeah, it's very exciting, Craig, and actually we're doing this for the seventh year. 
And uh, over 89 families have actually benefited from this, and they've enrolled their children, and they've taken advantage of these half-price vouchers. And the first thing that I usually hear from parents is, you know, when I tell them half-price, they say, what's the catch? Well, there really isn't a catch. This has uh, been working wonderfully. God is using it in, in mighty ways. Uh, for families that just think Christian school is out of their reach— We've partnered with now, uh, so far, uh, 16 schools this year, although schools continue to uh, come on board. But when we launch this, we'll have uh, at least 16 schools spread throughout the Bay Area that will be offering vouchers at half price. Now, the only catch really is that it's new families, families that are not currently enrolled, and they do limit it to one per family because they're trying to uh, bless as many families as possible. And, and basically, the re-enrollment rate is nearly 90%. So what history has shown us over these uh, six years that we've completed this process is that once a family does enroll their child or children in a Christian school, the vast majority of them re-enroll. The proof is in the pudding. They get a chance to experience the difference in their child's attitude, in their sense of well-being. Certainly, uh, almost across the board, a marked improvement Mm -hmm. in their academic testing and scores. And, you know, that's attributable things like a low student-teacher ratio in private schools, Bible-based education, the level of attention that the students receive. So I guess for the parents, they come in with this with sort of a, seems too good to be true, but let's put our toe in the water and, and, and test it. And lo and behold, it. they find that it is true. And you know what else they don't have to do? They don't have to debrief their kids every day when they come home from the <laughs> yeah. government schools. Yes, this is you know, true. what did you hear today? What did you learn today? And all the craziness, you know, with, with uh, you know, gender-neutral bathrooms and all the crazy stuff going on in the public school, they're finding that it's a breath of fresh air. They're actually looking forward to their children coming home from school to talk about what they learned that day. And it finally puts the parent, the child, the administration, the teacher, all on the same page, all pulling together for the well-being and best interest of the child. Now, this isn't to say that there aren't good public schools, because they are. But with so many agendas afoot at the state level, at the federal level, and as you mentioned, between the curriculum and some of the other policies, parents have a lot to be concerned about as to whether or not what they're trying to instill in terms of biblical and moral values and academic standards in their child is being supported or countermanded Mm -hmm. in their scholastic experience. And the good news with a private Christian education is everybody's on the same page. Everybody. And you know, what I would encourage listeners, if you're hearing this and you're not, you've, you've never heard this before, you're new in the area, you just started listening to KFAX, I'd encourage you to go to our website, kfax.com, click on any of the banners that are on the homepage that say back to school, and you'll see the list of schools. We put up a convenient map there where you're going to be able to see where all the pins are located, and you'll see everything there is to know about those schools, the website, some information on the school, what grades they're offering vouchers for, and if the two align with with your family, then I would encourage you to call Uh, Call me. My number and my name will be there on that page. You can ask me any questions you want. You can go visit the school. You can take a tour. The thing you want to do, though, is you want to let them know immediately that you're you're trying to claim a KFAX voucher. Now, of course, these schools are very familiar with the voucher program. I want to talk for just a second, too, about the army of listeners that have heard about this, the 89 families that have already enrolled a child. And I'm going to 
ask if uh, I could solicit you all as ambassadors for this program. You've tasted and seen what this program has meant to your family. So I just encourage you to mention it to friends, mention it to coworkers, mention it to folks at church. Let them know about the program. A lot of people, uh, there are one or two people in the Bay Area that don't listen to KFAX. We know most of them do. But uh, this has been such a blessing. I could talk for hours and tell God stories of how this has changed lives. I, I, I don't have it in studio with me, but I just got an email from a mom from back in 2014 whose son is now graduating, going on to a very, very prestigious college. And she sent us an email just saying, it all started with the half-price voucher. I never dreamed I would be able to enroll my son in Christian school. Well, Four years later, he's graduating, and his life's been transformed. And it is an indisputable fact that because of the difference in the student-to-teacher ratio in private schools, the biblical-based standards, mm-hmm. um, the, the attention to scholastic excellence at every level, that SAT test scores are higher, Children that matriculate through K through 12 and then go on to two- and four-year colleges and universities is significantly higher. So at the end of the day, it's, it's well worth the experience. Now, let's talk about um, a few of the housekeeping details. Again, more information available at kfax.com. Just look for the half-off tuition banner anywhere. Click on that. That'll take you to the map. You can find out what schools are available in your area. That list, as Brian mentioned, is growing daily. Again, at kfax.com. You can also get information in terms of the details of the program. So first-time families, one child per family. Uh, You do have to meet the school's individual scholastic entrance Requirements. Yeah, the school will still meet with the family. Um, but here's the good news is uh, even at half price, your funds are never at risk because if for any reason, and it's stated very clearly on our website, if for any reason you or the school doesn't go forward with the enro- enrollment, you get a full and immediate refund. So your, your funds are never at risk. The important thing to know, though, is it, it is a first-come, first-serve uh, opportunity here. Now, what if I go to the website, kfax.com, I click on the half-off tuition banner, I look at the list, I look at the map and go, wow, the school that I was hoping for is not there. I would encourage you to immediately call me. You'll see my name and number on that page. And let me contact the school and find out. It could be a school that for some one reason or another we didn't reach out to them or they had a change in superintendent or principal, someone wasn't familiar with the program, we can explain it to them. You can even call them and say, you know, uh, are you familiar with the KFAX voucher program because I don't see your school listed on the website. Every year we do get schools that come to us because a parent requested that they consider the half-price voucher. So if you don't see the school in your neighborhood that you're familiar with, yeah, don't, don't think that there's no opportunity because there is. And again, complete details available at kfax.com. That's kfax.com. You can also call toll-free to pose questions, how many vouchers are still available, details of this sort, anything that might be unique to your circumstance. Uh, simply call toll-free 800-947-KFAX. That's 800 800- Nine four seven five three two nine. We'll be happy to answer any of your questions. Again, as Brian points out, this is on a first-come, first-served basis, so the early bird catches the worm. We invite you to go online today to kfax.com, check out the half-off tuition page, and then again, if you have any questions, 
or to redeem your voucher, call toll-free 800-947-5329. That's 800-947-KFAX. But at the end of the day, when it comes to rearing our child and giving them the tools they need for their not only scholastic future, but quite frankly, for their adulthood, we really only get one chance to do it right. So don't hesitate. Get more information. Go online today, kfax.com, or call toll-free 800-947-5329. That's 800-947-KFAX. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.